Today is March 3rd. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer Wainwright, and I am grateful to be here. And you know I'm grateful you're here. It has been an interesting start to March, to say the least, as we have been making our way through the books of the Bible in a year. I have to start off by just saying thank you, all of you, Each of you for your outpour of love, support, and understanding, and for your kind sentiments. It definitely wasn't easy to disclose all the things I shared a few days ago, but it also was not as hard as I thought it would be. And I believe I do have you to thank for that. That's a little weird because obviously I know some of you personally who are listening. But I don't know every single person listening or who will listen at some point in the future. And yet I feel held. I feel emotionally safe in this sacred space. Look at me learning how to trust people. Now, if you talk about me behind my back in a way that is shady about what I've shared, I hope your socks slide down in your shoes and you have to walk around like that all day. I hope every person you text responds with a call and holds you hostage on the phone. And just when you are about to let out a good sneeze, I hope it goes away. (laughs) Seriously, it is my hope that my experience in this small part of my story that I've shared serves As a source of encouragement to any of you who have had similar feelings and insecurities who are struggling right now, you are not alone. We are not alone. All right, let's get into this word. We are starting a new book of the Bible today too, the book of Numbers. We are finally leaving Leviticus and moving on to some of the most well-known and fascinating stories in the Bible, such as Balaam and his donkey, Korah's rebellion, the brass serpent. We are headed back into some dramatic territory. So let's get to it. Let's flow into this word and allow this word to flow into us. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 14 through 34. Good News Translation. When any of you dedicate your house to the Lord, the priest shall set the price according to its good or bad points, and the price will be final. If you wish to buy your house back, you must pay the price plus an additional 20%. If any of you dedicate part of your land to the Lord, the price shall be set according to the amount of seed it takes to sow it at the rate of 10 pieces of silver per bushel of barley. If you dedicate the land immediately after a year of restoration, the full price applies. If you dedicate it any time later, the priest shall estimate the cash value according to the number of years left until the next year of restoration and set a reduced price. If you wish to buy your field back, you must pay the price plus an additional 20%. If you sell the field to someone else without first buying it back from the Lord, you lose the right to buy it back. At the next year of restoration, the field will become the Lord's permanent property. It shall belong to the priests. If you dedicate to the Lord a field that you have bought, The priest shall estimate its value according to the number of years until the next year of restoration, 
and you must pay the price that very day. The money belongs to the Lord. At the year of restoration, the field shall be returned to the original owner or to the descendants. All prices shall be set according to the official standard. The firstborn of an animal already belongs to the Lord, so no one may dedicate it to him as a freewill offering. A calf, a lamb, or a kid belongs to the Lord. But the firstborn of an unclean animal may be bought back at the standard price plus an additional 20%. If it is not bought back, it may be sold to someone else at the standard price. None of you may sell or buy back what you have unconditionally dedicated to the Lord, whether it is a human being, an animal, or land. It belongs permanently to the Lord. Not even human beings who have been unconditionally dedicated may be bought back. They must be put to death. One-tenth of all the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit, belongs to the Lord. If you wish to buy any of it back, you must pay the standard price plus an additional 20%. One of every ten domestic animals belongs to the Lord. When the animals are counted, every tenth one belongs to the Lord. You may not arrange the animals so that the poor animals are chosen, and you may not make any substitutions. If you do substitute one animal for another, then both animals will belong to the Lord and may not be bought back. These are the commandments that the Lord gave Moses on Mount Sinai for the people of Israel. And that concludes our reading of Leviticus. Now we are moving on to Numbers. The book of Numbers is the fourth book of the Pentateuch and authorship is attributed to Moses. So it is also sometimes referred to as the fourth book of Moses. The Hebrew title for Numbers is Bamidbar, which means in the wilderness in Hebrew. The book is structured around the 40 years the Israelites spent wandering in the wilderness from their departure from Sinai to their arrival at the borders of Canaan. Canaan was the promised land. This journey had a profound impact on the development of the Israelites' identity and their relationship with God. As the book of Numbers begins, it has been 13 months since the Israelites left Egypt and one month since the tabernacle was built. As part of this long journey, God commanded that a census be taken of all able-bodied men 20 years and older in order to determine the military strength of the Israelites before entering the promised land because it was inhabited by other nations at the time. Hebrew culture, you have to remember, was largely based on tribalism, family units, and clans, making a comprehensive census vital in establishing their new home and getting organized in the promised land. Now, there are plenty of lessons we can extract from numbers. The first one being the value of taking inventory of our resources, emotional, mental, and physical, before we embark on a new task or challenge or go into a new stage, career, or season of our lives. Taking time to first assess our time, energy, and capabilities before we get going can be a great asset to any endeavor. We have to calculate the costs up front 
if we really want to be successful to the best of our ability anyway. The book of Numbers is important not only for its narrative and history, but also for its theological implications. God had promised to lead the Israelites to a land flowing with milk and honey. However, what we're going to see is when they arrived at the borders of Canaan, they were faced with the daunting task of conquering the land that God had promised to them. Oh, they thought they were just going to waltz in and just take over, but they found out it was not going to be as easy as that. They sent spies to survey the land, and when some of the spies returned with a report of giants and fortified cities, the Israelites lost heart, and then they began to doubt God's promises. Their lack of faith and trust in God led to a series of rebellions and complaints against both God and Moses, culminating in God's decision to have the Israelites wander in the wilderness for an additional 38 years. During this time, the Israelites faced many challenges and difficulties, but they were also given the opportunity to grow in their faith and learn to trust in God's provision and protection because, you know, God's grace. If nothing else, the story of the Israelites shows us the importance of faith and trust in God's promises and how much that faith means to him. We've seen it all throughout the New Testament with Jesus. He was very impressed with faith, and so was God in the Old Testament. It also shows us the danger of allowing fear and doubt to hold us back from God's best, and the consequences of disobedience and rebellion. Numbers also teaches us the importance of community and the need for the Israelites to support and encourage each other in their faith journey. This part sounds like us, doesn't it? Except I really hope we are not as hard-headed as the Israelites. I mean, how do we really know? Somebody could be writing about us a thousand years from now, looking into our lives, examining every one of our moves and talking about what our attitudes, what our dispositions were. Let's think about what we want the story to be. We've talked about that before too. In the end, for all their wandering, the first generations of Israelites out of Egypt, apart from Caleb and Joshua, failed to inherit the promised land. Moses didn't make it either. Now, thousands of years later, their story still serves as a reminder to all of us that the path of faith is never easy. It takes courage, it takes trust and obedience to God's will. But if we persist, if we persevere, if we follow the promises and the path, the rewards of our faithfulness can be great. Let's get into it. Numbers chapter one, the first census of Israel. On the first day of the second month, in the second year after the people of Israel left Egypt, the Lord spoke to Moses there in the tent of his presence in the Sinai desert. He said, You and Aaron are to take a census of the people of Israel by clans and families. List the names of all the men 20 years old or older who are fit for military service. Ask one clan chief from each tribe to help you. These are the men, leaders within their tribes, who were chosen from the community for this work. From Reuben, Eleazar, son of Shadur. From Simeon, Shalumiel, son of Zuri Shaddai. From Judah, Nashan, son of Amenadab. From Issachar, 
Nathanael, son of Zuar. From Zebulun, Eliab, son of Helon. From the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, Elishama, son of Amihud. From Manasseh, Gamaliel, son of Padazer. From Benjamin, Abidan, son of Gideoni. From Dan, Ahizer, son of Amishadai. From Asher, Pagiel, son of Okron. From Gad, Eliasaph, son of Duel. From Naphtali, Ahira, son of Enan. With the help of these twelve men, Moses and Aaron called together the whole community on the first day of the second month and registered all the people by clans and families. The names of all the men twenty years old or older were recorded and counted, as the Lord had commanded. In the Sinai desert, Moses registered the people. The men, twenty years old or older, who were fit for military service, were registered by name according to clan and family, beginning with the tribe of Reuben, Jacob's oldest son. The totals were as follows. Reuben, 46,500. Simeon, 59,300. Gad, 45,650. Judah, 74,600. Issachar, 54,400. Zebulun, 57,400. Ephraim, 40,500. Manasseh, 32,200. Benjamin, 35,400. Dan, 62,700. Asher, 41,500. Naphtali, 53,400. Total, 603,550. The Levites were not registered with the other tribes because the Lord had said to Moses, When you take a census of the men fit for military service, do not include the tribe of Levi. Instead, put the Levites in charge of the tent of my presence and all its equipment. They shall carry it and its equipment, serve in it, and set up their camp around it. Whenever you move your camp, the Levites shall take the tent down and set it up again at each new campsite. Anyone else who comes near the tent shall be put to death. The rest of the Israelites shall set up camp, company by company, each man with his own group and under his own banner. But the Levites shall camp around the tent to guard it, so that no one may come near and cause my anger to strike the community of Israel. So the people of Israel did everything that the Lord had commanded Moses. Mark chapter 11 Verses 1 through 26. The Triumphant Entry into Jerusalem. As they approached Jerusalem near the towns of Bethphage and Bethany, they came to the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples on ahead with these instructions Go to the village there ahead of you. As soon as you get there, you will find a colt tied up that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if someone asks you why you are doing that, say that the master needs it and will send it back at once. So they went and found a colt out in the street, tied to the door of a house. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders asked them, What are you doing, untying that colt? They answered, just as Jesus had told them, and the crowd let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks over the animal, and Jesus got on. 
Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches in the field and spread them on the road. The people who were in front and those who followed behind began to shout, Praise God! God bless him who comes in the name of the Lord! God bless the coming kingdom of King David, our Father! Praise be to God! Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple, and looked around at everything. But since it was already late in the day, he went out to Bethany with the twelve disciples. Jesus curses the fig tree. The next day, as they were coming back from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He saw in the distance a fig tree covered with leaves. So he went to see if he could find any figs on it. But when he came to it, he found only leaves because it was not the right time for figs. Jesus said to the fig tree, No one shall ever eat figs from you again. And his disciples heard him. Jesus goes to the temple. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Jesus went to the temple and began to drive out all those who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the stools of those who sold pigeons. And he would not let anyone carry anything through the temple courtyards. He then taught the people, It is written in the scriptures that God said, My temple will be called a house of prayer for the people of all nations, but you have turned it into a hideout for thieves. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard of this, so they began looking for some way to kill Jesus. They were afraid of him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples left the city. The Lesson from the Fig Tree Early next morning, as they walked along the road, they saw the fig tree. It was dead all the way down to its roots. Peter remembered what had happened and said to Jesus, Look, teacher, the fig tree you cursed has died. Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. I assure you that whoever tells this hill to get up and throw itself in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. For this reason I tell you, when you pray and ask for something, believe that you have received it and you will be given whatever you ask for. And when you stand and pray, forgive anything you may have against anyone so that your Father in heaven will forgive the wrongs you have done. Psalm 46 God is with us. God is our shelter and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not be afraid even if the earth is shaken and mountains fall into the ocean depths, even if the seas roar and rage and the hills are shaken by the violence. There is a river that brings joy to the city of God, to the sacred house of the Most High. God is in that city, and it will never be destroyed. At early dawn, he will come to its aid. Nations are terrified, kingdoms are shaken. God thunders, and the earth dissolves. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come and see what the Lord has done. See what amazing things he has done on earth. He stops wars all over the world. He breaks bows, destroys spears, and sets shields on fire. 
Stop fighting, he says, and know that I am God, supreme among the nations, supreme over the world. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 23. It is foolish to enjoy doing wrong. Intelligent people take pleasure in wisdom. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you with grateful hearts for the gift of your word and the gift of community. Lord, we thank you for the many stories, the parables, and the teachings that it contains that reveal your character and your plan for us and humanity. Lord, we recognize that the Bible is full of symbolism and rich with theological significance. We ask that you grant us the wisdom and insight to comprehend its depth. May we not be satisfied with surface-level understanding of the stories we read, but may we reflect and meditate on them, seeking to understand the many layers of meaning within. Lord, but we need your guidance. We need your illumination as we read your word. We pray that you would give us a spirit of discernment to identify what is essential to us and in what ways we should apply it. Please help us to live out what we learn, to grow in our faith and our trust, and to reflect your love and your grace to all of those around us. Lord, we thank you again for this precious gift of your word. Thank you for all that we are building through this work and walk through your word. Lord, may we cherish it. May we learn from it. May we be transformed by it. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear a mind to do right and a heart to feel. Lord, we ask that you would give us another measure of your spirit, another measure of your anointing. Lord, we ask that you would give us the grace to recognize and learn from our mistakes, the wisdom to know when we should assess, watch, and pray before we make a move. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to lean not to our own understanding, Lord, that we would just lean into you to trust you because you know what is best for us. Lord, we ask all of these things in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And our affirmation, I am here, I am enough, I am loved, and I am tough. I am here, I am enough, I am loved, and I am tough. And our aphorism, Few people understand that some people consume an enormous amount of energy to be normal. Few people understand that some people consume an enormous amount of energy to be normal. Thank you for being on this adventure with me. You belong here and we belong together on this journey. I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.